0: All right, this is this is it, John. Our first bi-coastal podcast introduction.
1: Nick, you're very technologically savvy and know how to do know, everything from... I
0: know, I know, I know. You, you
1: can do everything from fix your neighbor's VCR to uh, get the, the toast out of the toaster with your knife without getting burned, but these things are a little bit harder for me. I, I just hope that this all works and that uh, Bob, our engineer, can figure it out.
0: Uh, well, should we talk about things that are bigger and better than toasters?
1: Well, one thing, for example, we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon, and Congress has just passed a $1.5 trillion tax plan. And to my mind, what's so odd and frustrating about this is that the more they've been talking about tax reform, the less popular it's become. The, the public generally hates it. The Republicans are already fearful that they're going to be Uh, Run on it or run against it or or, or run around it in in 2018. There's more or less a a, a widespread consensus among among trustworthy economists that it's going to raise the deficit by a trillion dollars. It's going to screw the shit out of the middle class. It's going to make some members of the donor class have to pay more vis-a-vis the lack of exemptions in big states like New York and New Jersey. So are they just doing this to, to, to get a win on the board? It, it, it seems rather short-sighted to me, but I think that one thing we've learned about this president is that short-sightedness is actually his strategy. He just wants to sort of win one day at a time. So maybe it's the, the perfect tax bill, the, the perfect legislative win for President Donald J. Trump. Well, I will give him – I do want to give him some credit because I do think that
0: for the first time in history, people are actually interested in the word taxes – you know, it's like most of the time you say, like, tax reform, tax bills, and your eyes glaze over. And because Donald Trump is associated with it, it's like people are – I mean, we're talking about it like the dinner table. It's it's a big thing. I think – you know, We I had Bill Cohen on here um, a couple weeks ago, and he believes, and I actually believe too, that the tax um, bill – Um, is kind of probably going to lead to to some sort of recession. Um, You know, we all know they come every eight years, give or take, um, at least in modern history. Uh, So we are due for one. But there's a lot of stuff in there that that really, as you just said, like helps the rich and doesn't necessarily help and clearly does not help the poor and and really drives the bigger wedge between who is a middle class and who is not. And I think that the... um, uh, th- that, that it's going to really slow spending. You know, there are not that many rich people out there. It's a small percentage of society. Um, uh, and, um, and I think that, uh, this, the short-sightedness by Trump is really going to, um, uh, is, is probably going to backfire. This may be the one thing that, you know, th- there are a lot of things that he has screwed up on that haven't made it to the place that they have. And this is one thing that, that seems to have made it past the finish line, but. Um, there may be a devil lurking somewhere as a result of it.
1: You know, it's funny. You can ask George Herbert Walker Bush what happens when you raise taxes on people. They, they don't usually reward you in the next election. But one of the funny ironies about this, and, and Bill, uh, Speak of the Devil, actually, is um, is writing a story about this now that we're probably going to publish in, in mere moments. So those of you listening on a Friday or Saturday can uh, go to the Hive and, and read it now. The only real winner in this is not the president himself, but Gary Cohn, who needed an exit to get out of Goldman Sachs uh, at the time that, uh, that, that that Trump won the electoral college. Cohn sort of staked his entire legacy on on tax reform after the Fed chairmanship was no longer available to him. And now Cohn is likely to depart at the one year anniversary, probably for a job in private equity or at a hedge fund, two of the industries that will benefit mightily from, from this bill. Uh, and so it, it's interesting that, you know, Cohn, who's been maligned for so many reasons, in large part his uh, his sort of belated response to the um, the totally racist and horrific events around Charlottesville and the president's lack of uh, a cogent response, that Cohn's going to win in the end. Cohn's going to be the guy who, who comes yeah. out of this laughing. Well,
0: well, this is the saddest part for me is – and I, I truly mean this. I'm not just saying this like, you know, it, it really makes me sad to think that so many of these people that are in this administration – came from industries where they worked in those industries and they came to the administration to change the system to benefit the industries. And they will go back afterwards and be paid seven figures or more in many instances. Um, You know, FCC, a JitPi is a perfect example that went to came from Verizon has completely fucked up the internet uh for God knows how long, and will go back and be paid an exorbitant amount of money gary cohn um i mean Bannon is another example you know left Breitbart uh that was not a nationally known thing and now is god making God knows how much and and Trump will probably you know benefit too if he doesn't go to jail uh um for his ties to russia um and it it just it just it's it's sad and 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 the 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 worst part is is that, um, you know, you mentioned uh, George W. Bush, um, Herbert Bush. The, the the worst part is um, he didn't lie like Trump will um, in the next election about what the taxes would do and what they wouldn't do. And, and Trump will, and he will probably uh, be praised for his um, disastrous uh, tax cut by, by a lot of people that are poor that don't know the difference.
1: Well, one, one name that you're leaving out um, from that list is... Uh Paul Ryan who you know has, oh, yeah. has recently ruminated aloud to the folks at Politico that he's he's contemplating life beyond the 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 grand um ivory uh, uh you know sweeping views of the of the Capitol. and it's hard not to be cynical about this i don't know Paul Ryan um i i've certainly done my best to uh to be somewhat skeptical of of this sort of wunderkind iron rand filleting tax reform enthusiast who 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 grew up going to high school parties doing keg stands about, uh, you know, someday reforming a, a sweeping tax uh, overhaul, which I don't think this actually is. This is a sort of, you know, all things considered a, a tweak to the tax code. But it does seem like Ryan is exiting Congress at a moment before he's going to become politically vulnerable in 2018. And just in time to go out and get, like, filthy rich before deciding to run for president in, say, you know, five or ten years. The guy's still young. He's still in his 40s. He's Uh, got tons of time.
0: We also also forgot Scott Pruitt, the most disgusting, despicable, (laughs) awful human in the world. I mean, literally, like, you talk about Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan used to be at the top of my list of, like, people I I hated. And hate's a strong word, but there's a lot of people in this. The things he has done as – running the epa are just awful the things ryan has done like they're all just and they're all going to benefit uh um financially from it and it's just it's awful it really is it's making me sad you know what though here's where they're not going to benefit they're not going to buy bitcoin and they're not going to get rich off bitcoin i know that for a fact
1: i think you're right about that in fact i'd be hard pressed to imagine that paul ryan really does stay up all night reading friedrich von hayek economic treatises And I have even more certainty that he's not actually exploring the Bitcoin futures market, which is a market that you know a lot about. You've been talking about this for a long time, in fact, so long that I didn't take you seriously in the beginning when you were talking to the the, the Winklevi twins, for instance, on on this podcast. But now it looks like we're at a kind of make or break moment in the cryptocurrency market.
0: Well, well, you know, let's give the Winklevi a a hand because um, they're proving to be uh, uh, two hit wonders. Um, whether or not they built Facebook, they definitely helped come up with the idea, um, and and they recognized that what what cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and everything were going to be before any of us did. And if you when you listen to that when you listen to that Winklevoss uh, podcast, if you'd have bought uh, you know a couple of bitcoins, you would have probably made around fifty thousand dollars so far um, in profit. So. Would have, should have, could have. But today, um, I have an amazing guest um, coming on, Joyce Kim, who actually was the first person to ever tell me about Bitcoin about um, five or six years ago, um, and um, and she has uh, she now runs a hundred million dollar uh, cryptocurrency um, investment fund. She helped co-found a. Um, a couple of uh, crypto fun- cryptocurrencies herself. Um, her ex-boyfriend was the guy who helped create Mount Gox, and is probably much more than a billionaire now. Um, and uh, uh, and she's going to talk to me a lot about you know what this is all about, what's going to happen with it, and um, her predictions of if Bitcoin will go to zero um, or if it will be you know a million dollars a piece.
1: Nick, I just finished filing my entire expense report for all of 2017. Do you think that I should just invest in Bitcoin right now?
0: Wow, that's a tough question. I actually, so here's my theory on this stuff, um, is that, um, and I truly do believe this, that cryptocurrencies are here to change the world um, and to change the way we send money and buy things and and so on and so forth. Um, I think that if you look at them, like a lot of people say it's very similar to the to the late 90s of the bubble where there are lots of people putting money into things they don't understand um and and that is correct however you know if you would have put uh um a few hundred bucks into Amazon, it could be worth millions today. You know, it's um, and if you'd invest, invested in Apple, the same you could have had hundreds of thousands of dollars in returns. And I think that there are, there are a lot of company, there are a lot of cryptocurrencies out there. There are about 1,400 4, 1, um, present, um, and the entire cryptocurrency market is. About six hundred and fifty billion it 's fast approaching a trillion dollars, um, uh, but there are a lot of them out there that will die and disintegrate, and people will lose money and there are a lot of them out there that are going to be worth um, billions and billions of dollars um, in market cap and If you get in now, you know you could be investing in the next Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway um, you just uh, it 's just hard to tell which one I, so and i 'll tell you one little anecdote. I have a friend. Um, who uh, there's a website called bitRx, dot xcom And you can buy Bitcoin from like Coinbase, which is a really easy interface to use where you download an app. And then you can transfer your Bitcoin over to BitRx. And then you can buy any of those currencies, those thousands of currencies um, that are out there. And, um, and I have a friend who decided the other day, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he, he was like, all right, I'm just going to put a thousand bucks in BitRx, I'm going to just guess which ones are going to do well and he put like 200 bucks on each different coin and there was one that he bought um that that uh you know a lot of them have gone up like 5x so his $200 in just a couple of weeks has turned into a thousand but there's one that's that's like flying up and he um he and now owns about 50,000 um of those coins and if and they're still in the in the double digit pennies but if it goes to if those coins end up being worth a hundred dollars a piece, like he could make half a million dollars on that two hundred dollar investment.
1: All right, so I'm going to take a flyer and just go for it. I think you should. I think you should. Here's what I would do: I would do a little
0: research, right? I would look at some of the inve- some of the read some of the websites, and I would take just take a thousand dollars of your expenses, uh, or a few hundred bucks if you don't have that much, and and go and just. You know, it's money that you could lose, but at the same time, it's money that you could—the return on the investment could could be um, unlike anything that you have ever had the opportunity to put money into before.
1: And Are, Joyce, when my you put guest, it that way, yeah, no, I'm going to give a thousand dollars to Joyce Kim, and um, and I'll yeah. see you uh, in, in, in my new bungalow on Mars.
0: Yeah, your new bungalow on Mars, uh, um, and uh, and I will. We can uh, we can drink to. Uh, all those awful people in the Trump administration that are richer than us from our Bitcoin investments.
1: Well, let's see how rich I am by the time your interview with Joyce is over.
0: Yeah, sounds good. My guest today was the first person to actually ever tell me about Bitcoin. Uh, it was, I believe it was about four years ago. Is that right?
2: Maybe yeah, I give more, or take.
0: five years ago, give or, give or take. Um, so I want to welcome Joyce Kim to the show. Thanks for joining us, Joyce.
2: Glad to be here.
0: Um, so, can you? So, there's a reason that you, uh, rather than you know the multitude of other Bitcoin cryptocurrency uh, experts in in the universe, are on here today talking to us. Can you give us a little bit of your crypto street cred?
2: Sure. I am the co-founder of the Stellar Protocol, which is one of the earlier protocols that came out after Bitcoin but before Ethereum. Um, Before that, I was an entrepreneur and a securities attorney, which interestingly was less interesting then in terms of giving me a perspective on this and more interesting nowadays. And then since then, I left Stellar and I have joined a VC fund, a $100 million fund called Sparkchain Capital, which is focused on just blockchain investment.
0: Okay, so so let's go back to uh, a few years back before we explain what all those things are to our listeners. Um, and how did you first hear about all this stuff?
2: So I, I first read about Bitcoin probably on one of those you know nights when you're online too late and you're deep in some form and you don't know what you're doing there. And I came across the topic of it and the description of it. And coming from an immigrant family, You know, growing up, we always had a hard time sending money back home. And so when I looked at the concept of what Bitcoin was then, because then it was really just Bitcoin, there was nothing else out there. Um, And I thought about what could happen if this really worked the way it was intended to work, then it would solve all those problems. And countless millions of people who have trouble sending money home would be able to use the Internet and the mobile devices, just like the promise of the Internet originally was to take care of that. And that alone was such an exciting idea. Because think about all the economic growth that could be unlocked in all these local communities, if something like that worked. And so once I kind of reached that conclusion, I just fell down a rabbit hole that I still haven't come out of yet.
0: So did you have? Did you know back then? Because I remember we were we were walking around San Francisco, um, and it was me and my then girlfriend, now wife, and you and your boyfriend, and you guys were explaining this thing to us, and and we were like, "This sounds amazing." But I, you know, I mean, it was literally to me back then. It was like you explaining um, a new app, and it was like, "Oh, that's cool. That's going to have an impact." But I had no idea that. It would have the impact it is now having, did you know that it would back then, or is it is it is it shocking to you to see what's going on with all with with just cryptocurrencies in general?
2: I mean, I thought it clearly had the potential to, and if it did, it would be world changing right and so back then it was clearly on the fringes of technology. it wasn't part of the the discourse like it is today. Um, but when you think about you know when new platforms and new protocols come out that work in a truly interoperable way, their, their viral growth effects are tremendous, right? And we can see that like major technologies can come out and change the world in the, in the period of a few years. You know, we saw that with mobile phones, we saw that with the internet. And so there's no reason as a technologist why I wouldn't believe that it could happen. And, but I guess, you know, there was like this two-year low when interest was really dying down because the price was low. And unfortunately in this space, even the technology's revolutionary law, a lot of the, the, the attention is paid to the price. And so the two-year lull in the price kind of made a lot of interest go away. But clearly that trend has been reversed. And now we have all of these companies coming back or, you know, joining the space. So I think for me, when I first saw it, I believed in its potential. And of course, I had hoped that it would it would reach its fullest potential. I'm still, honestly, though, a little surprised every day when I wake up and more people are talking about it to me, like every relative wants to talk about it. Every person I run to at a coffee shop or a restaurant wants to chat about it. And so it it feels a little surreal, to be honest.
0: (laughs) So let's talk a little bit. I know. So I, I know you have certain feelings about the price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, but I I just want, kind of want to understand why it is what it is today. I mean, if you look at the, 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 the entire cryptocurrency market cap—it's—it's um, five hundred billion dollars right now, um, and growing. And um, you know, in the last few weeks, you've seen Bitcoin go from you know a, a single digit thousand dollars to double digit thousand dollars. There's speculation that next year it'll hit you know 20, 30, fifty thousand by the end of two thousand eighteen, a hundred thousand, maybe even a million. First, let's let's. Can you explain what's going on and and what what you know if if those predictions are accurate in your mind and then be why why you don't think the price is actually important?
2: Okay, so you know there's a the market of cryptocurrencies as a whole is still relatively small compared to that of the world economy, right? And so we used to joke around saying that the entire Bitcoin market capitalization was equivalent to the rounding a rounding error error in in Wall Street right? So when you have even small portions of just traditional finance moving its way into this space, it leads to a large jump in price. And so I just came back from Korea where it is completely a mainstream topic. There's nobody who doesn't know about it anywhere in the country. You have students investing, you have, you know, grandmas and grandpas investing. We have mandatory military service in Korea. So you have Korean soldiers who in their downtime are trading cryptocurrencies. It's, it's become much more of a normal activity there. And so when you think about that scale, you take a country the size of Korea, which isn't huge, starting to mainstream invest into cryptocurrencies. It does cause a huge jump in the market. And what's actually driving that in Korea, for example, is the fact that you know if you're my generation or younger in Korea, you can work a full-time job and never afford an apartment in Seoul. And so people are looking for other places to invest their capital that might generate a return because they have no other way of securing their retirement right now or, or buying a house. So they're turning to cryptocurrencies as this potential promise of the future. And then if that happens in every other economy in the world where people are looking for a return because their day-to-day job does not cover their day-to-day expenses, then you can see that the potential effect of this is, is tremendous. Um, the downside of that, though, is that means we're focused on price. And, and as you know, you know from, from knowing me over the years, it's not something that I'm super focused on because why I got interested in the space and what I think it's true potential is, is, is what can be built on it. and How can it change our different industries? I mean, and if you, this is not the best analogy, but if you compare it to when the mobile kind of revolution came and people started building apps everywhere, yes, you could make money building an app and putting it in the app store. But really when you look at the impact of what mobile phones have had in our lives, it's far more transformative than whatever revenue came out of the app store. Right. And mm-hmm. so I'd like to think about blockchain technologies as the same.
0: Okay. So I want to get to blockchain technologies, but <clears throat> one of the things that, you know, uh, that speaking of the wall street rounding error, one of the things that people on wall street constantly say is that, um, this is just another bubble. Uh, uh, and maybe, it be, maybe it's the biggest bubble of all the bubbles. Um, and, um, you know, sh- do I, when I hear you talk about young people in Korea and soldiers and so on and so forth, um, and clearly, that is going to spread to other countries um, if it hasn't already. Um, do you worry that these people are, in, are investing money into something that could, you know, essentially take their money downstream, or
2: or not? I worry about that whenever anybody invests in anything. Right? You can go buy any stock on Wall Street and still worry about the same thing. I think what what I caution people about is that people shouldn't invest in cryptocurrencies in a manner any different than they would in any other investment asset. They shouldn't change their investment philosophy. They shouldn't change their risk profile. You should never put in any more money than you're willing to lose, right? And these are just kind of fundamental investment rules that a lot of people have thrown to the wayside in the frenzy around it right now. And I think that's actually the problem. It's not a a core problem with the technologies. It's a problem with our perception of what our returns should be our expected um, return on investment. And that's just uh, a huge distraction from what we should really be looking at. And so, you know, people are lowering their standards, even here in in the technology world in Silicon Valley, people are lowering their standards for what they look for in a company before they invest into what's known as an ICO, an initial coin offering right now. And you see savvy tech investors throwing all of their, Um, standards out the window because they think an ICO will generate a return. And these are people who are professional investors, right? So that's actually the problem. It's our, it's our human, it's our humanity. That's the problem, not actually the technology.
0: But you were saying, I think you said a few years back about how you, you were, um, uh, one of the things that you looked at was kind of like how these things could go wrong, um, doing Mm -hmm. security stuff. Is, so as of late, we've seen um, that uh, you know we now have the futures that are trading Bitcoin. You now have mm-hmm. Wall Street coming in. I, I read a, a quote the other day, which I thought was pretty brilliant about how all these you know these these Silicon Valley like kids that are investing are like gazelles on the open plains. And now that the wall street guys are coming in, it's like, it's like the lions and tigers are coming out of their dens. Like, do you, do, do, you know, when Bitcoin was originally conceived, it was not conceived of a thing that was going to make people on wall street, rich. It was the complete opposite actually. Um, Correct. Putting on your, putting on your previous hat uh, um, and looking at it from, from that perspective, it, it is it, is it, has it gone in the wrong direction? Is it the thing that, 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 you know, we didn't expect it to be?
2: Well, I think one of the challenges facing this space is actually something that's facing our, our, our nation as a whole, that our legal system doesn't learn about technology as fast as technology evolves, right? So now you have yeah. this policy environment that doesn't match the speed of, of, of software development in any space, Right, be it the FCC or or the SEC, right? And so, so that's a big problem that we're facing as a society in the blockchain space. The fact that this has grown so quickly and it touches money is an additional complication. And so, my opinion, and I initially in the early days when there weren't so many of us in the space, I was certainly more of a minority opinion. I think now that the space has gotten bigger and more diverse. Um, I, I'm kind of maybe closer to the norm now. I don't think regulation is necessarily a bad thing for for the space. Um, that being said, I think that you know, as people working in the space, even if consumer protection laws and other types of reporting laws don't apply to us, there's a there's a human interest reason for why those laws were created, and you may disagree with all the bureaucracy that went into the creation of the regulations and the enforcement of the regulations, but there's still an intent there of, you know, looking out for your fellow citizen. And so as an industry, all the companies in the space, we should act as if we're protecting those same interests regardless or or not if these regulations apply to us at this time. Right. And so I think that that's what we as a technology space have to start taking on. Like we have to make those philosophical decisions of how are we going to protect consumers in our space if the policies aren't keeping up. Right. And that's, yeah, I think where we're, where, where, where we're at today and that's the, the challenges that we're grappling with today. And you see a difference. The good companies are doing it. The good companies are really taking it seriously. Like how do they make sure their customers are safe and secure? How do they protect their customers? And then some of the not so great companies are maybe playing a little fast and loose.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, uh, so you were the, uh, you co-founded um, uh, uh, Stellar before and um, uh, are you still involved with Stellar or are you?
2: Officially, I stepped off the board earlier this summer when I joined my fund.
0: Got it. So um, can you explain a little bit about Stellar, about these other cryptocurrencies, you know, when you look at um, not just the, you know, the recent ones or the ICOs, but when you look at kind of like the coin market cap websites and you see like uh, right. IOTA and Zcash and this, that and the other can you kind of explain to listeners what these all do and why they're important? Right. And are they, are they all here to stay or, you know, is it kind of up for grabs? What's going on?
2: So, so some of the, 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 the tokens and coins that you see on, on CoinMarketCap actually don't have a protocol at all yet, right? They're ICO tokens that came out with a promise of development and no development has occurred. So there's a trading market for it without any software. So I'm going to kind of accept those all out when I first started in space, it was there was just Bitcoin and there wasn't these other coins known as altcoins then. And back then, altcoins was a bit of a slur. Like you, It was Bitcoin or die, right? Um, mm. And I was of the philosophy that I thought that we could get to a point where there would be many complementary protocols and that they would all work in different niches and have different strengths that would allow them to attack different use cases differently. And I think over the past few years, we've seen that that Reality has has come true. We're kind of at this awkward growth stage where maybe we have too many protocols or our or too many ideas coming out without complete development of, of a particular one or another. Um, so I think we're gonna we'll get to that stage. But right now there's certainly a bit of a, a, a mad rush to put out a protocol. When we put Stellar together, one of the things that we were looking at in terms of design intent is really different from a lot of the other protocols. Like Stellar was the first nonprofit in the space that was really focused on um, developing software as a public good. Right? right. And so a lot of what we were thinking about then are, are, discussions that are coming up now. If we were really going to build a protocol that could be work, used in geographies where financial stru- infrastructure doesn't exist or is so poor that people can't lead normal lives um, or, you know, economically safe lives, then what kind of protocol would we need to build to, to serve those needs? And that meant it would need to handle a lot of transactions um, a lot of microtransactions, I mean, we call them microtransactions here, but everywhere else they're just transactions, right? Um, and when we looked at what could happen if Bitcoin got really big, we we predicted that the transaction cost would get too high, that it wouldn't scale and wouldn't be able to support the world's transactions, and that mining would start consuming a huge amount of electricity. And so we designed Stellar to avoid all of those things and to be really useful in in, in low bandwidth, low energy environments, where people are mobile phones or, or in really poor communities. Um, so a lot of the issues that Bitcoin's facing today, we designed around in Stellar, but we did it that way because we were looking for a protocol that could work for not only New York and London, but also for continental Africa or... or Rural areas that were underserved to begin with, right? So you see that happening so, in other areas as well. Some of these other protocols deal with like Internet of Things or or other particular use cases, like the gaming industry or Hollywood, and, and they're just attacking different use cases and tweaking a protocol to make it work best for that industry.
0: So to explain to so pretend that I just landed um, from Mars or or anywhere other than Silicon Valley. Um, and i and you explained to me, okay, Bitcoin is this cryptocurrency um uh and 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 it 's got this thing called a blockchain uh, um, and and people can then take the blockchain and then create these other protocols. Can you explain in kind of a and maybe it 's impossible in like a layman 's term <laughs> how that actually works like how do you Create a new cryptocurrency. Do you go get an API that that links to Bitcoin and then you do like wh- how does it work?
2: Well, it depends on what kind of protocol you're making. You can actually just replicate an existing software that's open source and just make a new one, or you can build build a new one from scratch. But I think the most interesting thing is that people are tweaking what the core, innovation is of, of, of blockchain and what makes blockchain so cool and why a bunch of us geeks saw it years ago and were like, this is amazing. It was because it was the first time that you could take a database and allow different people that didn't know each other, that didn't, that could even not get along, all record information to the same database in a safe way without having to know each other or trust each other right? And so that actually changes how databases in the world can work. And to be honest, everything's a database now, right? You can make a database out of anything. The amount of data flowing around the world is just increasing exponentially. And so creating a technology stack that allows people to write and record data to the same database or read even data from the same database without knowing each other or, or coming to any mutual agreement about anything really moves us forward as to how we can start building products and sharing information. Do you remember back in the day when, like, we started getting into chat rooms for the first time, and you're like, "Oh my god, I can chat with somebody I don't know," and then yeah. look at what's, what's happened from there. Think of this as like the data version of that.
0: So, so do you do you believe that um, that this blockchain technology will be the way all databases work in the future?
2: I don't think it'll be for all, because sometimes you don't need all the bells and whistles that a blockchain. And so you could still run a regular database for a more localized set of data. So it won't be for all, but it will certainly start replacing infrastructure where the friction is too great now with a traditional database, and it will create new areas of, of, of growth that were not even possible before with a traditional database
0: so okay, so now just just to finish off on that question about um about the you know these other coins and how they're linked and tied together so if I wanted to start a new coin, let's just say I wanted to start Nick coin right do i like what is the to start <laughs> you're in how uh, what is, so how would i even price it like how does that how you know you do i does it start off as a as a penny does it a dollar how to do, wh- let's just say Nick coin is where um is you know uh, it's something to do with journalism where you can kind of get facts out of articles. It's actually a pretty, pretty good idea. I think you should invest in it. Um, how do, how does the, how does it, how do these things price? I don't understand the, um, right. the fact that you know, Litecoin is, is now at, you know, 400, 500 bucks, whatever it is. And Ethereum's at 800 already and Bitcoin's at, you know, at, at, in the tens of thousands, like how are these things priced? Especially when you're starting one from scratch.
2: Okay, if you're starting one from scratch, then there's two ways. You can either just put it out and then it gets placed on an exchange where it's supply and demand, right? So there are these websites that exist called exchanges where people can buy and sell things. Think of it like as an eBay or a stock trading site, but it's in real time and people can go in and place orders to either buy or sell. And then you get massive people anonymously and you can and buy and sell that way. I mean, anonymously to you, but the company clearly has, the exchange clearly has everybody's information, um, like an in E-Trade. The other way is doing what's known as an ICO, and that's what you hear a lot of people talking about these days, where you say, I'm going to make this coin. You can invest early or you can buy it from us directly, and the company will either set a price or create some dynamic pricing structure based off of demand, and then that way it's priced by either the company or this dynamic pricing algorithm before it's released. Right. And so those are the two ways – that you see it happening. And then clearly, you know, people that have better ideas or better networks or better marketing, um, their coin goes up in value. Whereas people that don't do as well on those fronts, maybe have a worse product or worse marketing team, there's less demand. So then their price sinks. Right. So it really is actually the fluctuation of supply and demand. And it does look like these currencies are extremely volatile and and moving everywhere. And a lot of them are really volatile, but I think we have to kind of temper that perspective with their, understanding that our own currencies that we exist in today, they're actually also moving up and down, maybe not at the same volatile rate for something like the U.S. dollar if you live here in the United States, but the U.S. dollar does fluctuate against the yen and the euro every day. We just don't feel it because all our entire lives are priced in that one currency. right? But if you've ever been traveling or you're an expat that lives somewhere else and you're constantly doing money changes, then you can kind of feel the movement of these other currencies, of our these you know, kind of national currencies, also known as fiat currencies, um, and you may feel it more if you're in an economy that's that's less stable. Um, but it's not like the dollar doesn't move.
0: So as as I'm talking to you, I um, uh, I'm literally watching out of my window, and there's a squirrel that just buried a nut in in front of uh, in a little tree right next to me. <laughs> just I just literally watched it dig a hole and bury a nut, and I was thinking to myself, that's a, holder. Oh, what a perfect analogy. <laughs> What's that? It's a, squirrels, squirrels are or holders. holders. So yeah. that's a perfect analogy. Uh, and I do want to. I want to jump into um, your fund and and how that works and everything uh, next. But I, it's a perfect analogy for my next question. Um, before we get there, which is, you know, if you, I know you don't, you don't. The money is not that important. But let's just. We're just going to go there for a minute. Do you like? Do you think that buying like Bitcoin or something like that? That people that want to buy it should be thinking about it as a trading thing, like where you can buy and sell quickly and make a few hundred bucks or a few thousand dollars, depending on how much you have. Or is it something that you should buy and just kind of leave and you know hold for a while because you believe that this is going to continue to rise? And um, uh, and not to you know be the one to give everyone you know financial advice, but I'm curious if if, if this is me and you having a conversation and I'm like, hey, I, I have a hundred bucks that I want to put into something. Should I, should I do this or should I wait?
2: Well, it honestly does totally depend on your risk profile, right? I mean, are you the type of person that buys bonds and holds on to them? Or are you the type of person that goes and buys a Google stock? Or do you penny trade all day, right? So it, it kind of depends on what your appetite is and, and what your natural tendencies are. And I don't think people should do anything different in the cryptocurrency space than they're doing with their regular regular investments. Right. And so I think that that's kind of a tough question to ask because it is so highly dependent. I also have totally stopped giving any type of investment. Like I don't even answer those questions amongst friends because, man, when the price is up, everybody's happy. And then when price is down, they're mad at me. And it's just (laughs) not something that I enjoy going through.
0: Um, All right. So last question on the price and then and then I want to move on. Um, uh, If you had to predict in um, uh, this is a two part question, if you had to predict in in let's just say, five years. Do you think Bitcoin is still the number one cryptocurrency, A? And B, what do you think its value is?
2: So, you know, I think it doesn't matter if Bitcoin is the predominant one or not. I think what matters is how many useful um, applications have we found for all these protocols in our lives, right? And I think that that's a better um, a better kind of concept to aim for. There was this term that was, you know, people often joke around called the flipping. It's, you know, this this magical event that's supposed to happen in the Bitcoin community if and when Bitcoin dominance in the crypto community drops below 50%. And it used to be something people really talked about and and debated and and had very passionate feelings about one way or the other. And you could imagine the Bitcoiners wanted it to never happen in the Ethereum. People wanted it to happen like yesterday. Um, and
0: so wait, so that that's to say that they the total when Bitcoin cap, loses its dominance
2: cap. and then it flips. Yeah, market Got cap it. of Bitcoin okay. is no longer 50% of the market. And that's actually a Got small it. number that you'll see on the top of the, 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 the CoinMarketCap website. Um, yeah. And so that would be something that people would always debate. And in my opinion, it doesn't matter because if this becomes really largely adopted and these protocols become really useful in people's lives... Nobody knows what protocol they're on. They just know the product that they're interacting with. When you're sending an email, are you thinking, oh, I'm going to go SMTP somebody. You don't think I'm going to send something over the Simple Mail Transfer Protocol. You think I'm going to email somebody, right? And so it's not going to matter if you're using Bitcoin or Ethereum or Stellar or whatever the case may be. It's going to matter if you have a product that makes sense for whatever you're trying to get done, be it managing supply chain or like, you know, trying to do inventory with counterfeit goods or whatever to avoid counterfeiting um, of things and or, or remittances. It doesn't really matter what the back protocol is. So that's why, I mean, personally, I really do avoid those types of debates because I don't yeah. think they're fruitful. Um, yeah. And if that's the case, does it also matter what the Bitcoin price is? Because there will also be a million other tokens or coins out there that represent different things in the market. And so But to doesn't, me, but. but-
0: but one of the problems is that you know um, I, th- I consider myself pre- pretty technologically adept, um, and uh, um, and I you know I have to ask friends sometimes how some of this stuff. I mean, I have to ask you how like some of this stuff works. And and the, I think you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the reasons that, that the 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 exchanges as of late, like Coinbase, where you can just you know download the Coinbase app on your phone and buy. Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum um, has made it so, you know, my sister can buy those things, but she cannot buy, she. if I told her go buy some IOTA or even Stellar, she would have a really difficult time doing it. And w- so it seems like before we get there, there needs to be a bunch of stuff that happens, right?
2: Yeah, we're still in the very, very early stages still. I mean, people don't realize how long it takes to build these, um, for these technologies to really it, like evolve to make products that are really user friendly, and and to be honest, one of the things, two big things that really slows down uh, blockchains in terms of a financial tool, and I'm not talking just about investing and holding, but actually using the underlying protocols for things like savings accounts for 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 women in a particular community, or for remittances and sending money internationally when you live abroad to your loved ones. Like the the challenges with both of those is one financial regulation, right? So, if we don't have regulation that makes it clear how we can do these things, then a lot of these companies are just they're just stuck they're frozen until the regulation becomes clear because good companies they don't necessarily want to be flouting um, and running astray of of financial laws when they're building their products right um, and then, two is the key management. It's actually really hard to keep your your accounts safe because the nature of how these 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 wallets or accounts are kept secure, you have what's known as a secret key. And that alone can, if you lose that, you will never get access to your account again. There's no password recovery because if you do password recovery, then you're giving your secret key to the company that is allowing you to recover your password. So that's dangerous. And then if you don't have password recovery and you lose your key, then you've lost everything that's in that wallet, right? So nobody's found a really eloquent um Design answer to this problem, right? Mm-hmm. And we're only now getting to the point where people are getting used to two-factor authentication, where you like have it. You log into a website, and it you know sends either a message to your a security app where you have a code, or it sends you a text message with a code, which you know is not secure in and of itself. But people are using that method anyway. You know we're getting used to that as the new security kind of approach to our, our digital lives. But everything blockchain related, cryptocurrency related, it ups that. Like tenfold, and we haven't figured out the answer to how do we make that secure and easy to use, which is always a because more secure actually means harder to use.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, <clears throat> just check everyone's password. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I know a few people, and I'm, I'm sure you know way more who have bought, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever it is, and uh, they lost their passwords, and it's now worth yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they have no access and no way to get it. Um, yeah,
2: and they're always really angry when they see the price
0: <laughs> oh of course yeah they're, they're probably the angriest um all right so so um i, I think you have a, a you have to jump soon but um have a, maybe 10 minutes or so so i wanted to talk a little bit about your about your fund how how does it work and what kind of stuff are you investing in
2: right so we just announced a 100 million dollar fund that's part of um an investment group called spark labs global and this Blockchain-focused fund is called Spark Chain, And so one of the reasons why I decided to kind of join the venture space again and particularly this this fund is because, you know, there's a couple of philosophies that I think are happening in the space. One is that blockchain is global. Like it really is happening everywhere. It's not just going to be coming from Silicon Valley. And I think the challenge is a lot of Silicon Valley firms are really good at investing in Silicon Valley, but they can't go further than that. And so we have a very global focus. We'll be able to invest from everywhere from Nigeria to India to Indonesia to 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 the Philippines, wherever there's really interesting blockchain technologies being developed, right? And so I think that that's an important thing to think about when you're looking at the blockchain space. Um, And the other thing is that Spark Labs in general has a particularly strong footprint in particular geographic regions where blockchain has already been very strong, right? Like the Hong Kong, China area, Korea, Japan. And so it's a natural extension. I mean, I have a very good network here in Silicon Valley, and continental Africa and Latin America. And so covering there also helps expand that reach. But I think that one of the things that we're looking at and that I think is an interesting thing that's happening, a lot of new companies are flooding into the space, which means a lot of young companies are looking for funding. And so we are deciding to go a little bit later stage, which is known as Series A, because a lot of this kind of noise that's happening in the space, I think it won't survive in terms of building quality products. Um, it takes a couple of iterations in any industry to get things not only right, but to get things sustainable. And so we're taking a slightly later stage approach to it um, so that we'll be able to deploy funds when a lot of the noise has kind of died down. And we see who's really sticking around to build their products instead of who's going to do a fundraise and then just leave with the money. right? Which so is what something t- that's happening me- in the space
0: you're telling me you're not going to invest in nitcoin is that what you're trying to say i'll
2: tell you what you launch nitcoin and see how it goes and then once it's out there then we can talk
0: all right sounds good i will let you know but journalistic Uh,
2: funding is really important actually so no it is is it's really it really
0: is um so what what are some of the what kind of companies have you invested in so far
2: so we're in the process of still going through our first investments as Spark chain. I can tell you that Spark labs has invested in some blockchain companies. um, Notably there's one in Korea called Blocko, which is a phenomenal company because they're not so well-known here, but they are already running transactions and have done integrations with Samsung and Hyundai so that their transactions are actually happening right now on a side chain. And that's an accomplishment that to be honest, not very, very very few, if no other companies in the blockchain space have accomplished, like having a major company of that size running their live transactions on their software. Um, and they also have done cool so, things with the government. There's a province in Korea called Gyeonggi, which is the province that kind of surrounds Seoul. And there's this interesting kind of voting system there where different government stakeholders can vote on the health and human services budget. And so they're using smart Contracts the from this company to to handle that voting of of stakeholders and so So you've got voting that's happening on the blockchain yeah on a ethereum smart sidechain we're using smart contracts yeah which is a lot of words that a lot of people won't know what it means but basically it means that a real government is using this technology to manage their voting for their budgeting and i think that that is a major step in the right direction
0: so what are some of Just your think of it, It's dream transparent,
2: case, it's auditable, things that we would love no, to see from any government in the world, right?
0: You go completely. What are some of your kind of like you know pie in the sky dreams of of how a block, blockchain how the blockchain could could be used in the future? Like things you would love oh, to man, see. a lot
2: of them you know a lot of them are kind of the reasons why why we created Stellar. like I would love to see a blockchain protocol that really does address the issues of people in underserved financial communities right? Because there's so much talent and so many hardships that can be kind of done away with if we have just even a good way for people to save money and to send money. Because you have these communities that I've visited where women aren't really empowered or allowed to have their own bank accounts, right? And when you take away that economic freedom, you really do tie a community's like one hand behind their back and there's just so much less that can happen. Um, Then you have other situations where the banks are actually so expensive that a lot of communities are just priced out of it and they can't save in a bank. So then instead they save cash in their house or they'll use alternative saving methods. Like they'll buy a bunch of piglets and a bunch of chickens. And then that becomes their de facto savings account because theoretically those pigs will go around and eat food and then they'll get bigger. So that's the interest that's being born on their savings account. And then when the pig is of age, they can sell it. Right. And that's fine. It works in certain environments, but it's not necessarily the safest, right? Like what happens if your pig runs away and there goes your savings account? So what if we could actually build tools that, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, it's funny to say, it's funny to hear you say that there's a great saying on wall street that, uh, um, that there, there, there is room for bears and there is room for bulls, but pigs go to the slaughter, uh, which someone actually Uh, said to me recently when I mentioned, uh, when I mentioned, when I was talking about Bitcoin. Um, and so, so in a situation like that, the the beauty of it is that um, you can it's low cost, not only it's open
2: source, yeah. yeah,
0: and it's you can it's, build products it,
2: anywhere. You don't need permission to do integrations. Communities can just make their own decisions about what products do they need there and build it for themselves. And I mean that's really and, the, the, the 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 amazingness of the distributed aspect of these things. Like you empower communities to build their own financial savings tools rather than everybody having to wait for a major financial institution come with all that overhead and all that cost structure
0: so so do you imagine that you know it, it sounds like in a scenario like that that you why would you need cash um you know there are there are 7.5 billion mobile devices on on the planet um you know why it, it, in, a, in a world like that do you imagine that cryptocurrency is a currency that we use on a daily basis? I know Amazon has been registering, you know, Amazon crypto and Amazon Amazon coin and things like that. And there's a theory that they will put out an Amazon coin where you, you know, that's where you buy and sell stuff. I mean, do you see a world where that's how we all transact?
2: I think in the future, all these things will eventually become digital. Whether individuals will transact in a, Pure cryptocurrency is another question. I mean, one of the things that we designed into the Stellar Protocol was the ability to kind of essentially, for you know, lack of a better term, upload um, normal currencies, and then those currencies become able to, to uh, take the characteristics of a cryptocurrency. So it allows the dollar or the, or the yen or, or, or the peso to, to have all the benefits of a cryptocurrency. It's like software for this to happen. And so the reason we did that, though, was because in a lot of communities, You can't expect everybody who've had their entire lives priced in their native currency to all of a sudden start transacting in Bitcoin, right? Like, do you know how much your your cup of coffee in the morning costs in Bitcoin? Like, no idea, right? So we designed a system where you could transact in your normal currency, but on a blockchain protocol. And I think that that's probably from a human design perspective where things will be moving towards. Right? You see people creating different types of tokens to deal with different use cases in particular communities, but for larger economic you know, adoption, I imagine the future will be more like national currencies running on blockchain. Hmm. And that's one of the things that we designed Stellar to do because that's where it logically makes sense for the world to go.
0: All right, so I know you have to jump on a plane and go somewhere to talk cryptocurrencies with someone else. Yeah. Um, but but I uh, uh, just want to wrap up with a question. So uh, who is Satoshi Nakamura? Do you know?
2: <laughs> no, I don't know. And if I did know, I would protect his, her, or their identity.
0: Do you think that this... It's, so for <laughs> Does the it people matter? Who, it, no, it's just, it's so fascinating that someone uh, someone who we don't know who they are Came up with this idea and called Bitcoin and blockchain and put it out there, and it's literally changing the world as we speak. And all anyone can talk about, and we have no idea who it is.
2: So I I saw this one article that had a great title, and it said it was talking about this topic and the importance of this topic. And the title of the article was "Who Invented Jeans?"
0: Who? What's who? Was what sorry?
2: Who invented jeans?
0: That's really funny.
2: Yeah, and if doesn't it doesn't matter. matter, then it doesn't matter, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Well, thank you so Think much. That. for taking next the time, time you to put chat. on your jeans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I will. Uh, I will be thinking about that when I am creating Bitcoin and allowing other people, other than you, to invest in it, uh, and uh, uh, and go and do my my own ICO. Um uh Joyce, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been really fascinating. Um and uh and and safe travels and and good luck on your cryptocurrency adventures.
2: Thanks, it's been a pleasure for chatting on this. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton.
1: So Nick, unbelievably, I invested in a thousand dollars in a cryptocurrency at the beginning of this podcast, and we're talking now, I don't know, about half an hour later. And I made $100,000. So thanks for all your great advice, and, and thanks to Joyce Kim for sorting me out. Uh, this is going right into Jack Kelly's college fund. Um, I
0: think that, uh, that that's great. I would, um, I would pull it out right now because, um, you know, by the end of you and I wrapping up this podcast, it could be back down to zero. Shit. The volatility of the market. It's, it's probably just happened. Uh, This week, it was crazy. There was, um, you know, Joyce is talking on the podcast about how there's um, a lot of people in Korea are investing um, in in cryptocurrencies because they don't have an opportunity to invest in much else. And um, uh, um, and just this week, uh, um, there was a, a... place in Korea that was hacked and millions of dollars in Bitcoin disappeared. And the market fell from uh, 19800 a Bitcoin to 15000 in just a matter of, of minutes. And, and then it, of course, bounced back up. Back up. But so, you know, your, your, your investment could just vanish before your very eyes. In
1: fact, quite literally, uh, since we began this conversation, my investment is now down to $43.12 and rubles so um, it's not i'm not i'm not doing very well um i uh i would advise any investor in this market to have a a stronger stomach than i do yeah so nick i think next week we're going to be talking about the year ahead things to be afraid of things to be not so afraid of big predictions things that we think will happen things we think won't happen and and uh things just like that is that right
0: yeah, that's right. We're gonna we're gonna have a, a top ten, um, you know, year end. What we predict for two thousand eighteen, uh, technologically, politically, medialy. Um, uh, we're not gonna be guessing who's gonna win the Academy Awards. We're going we're going deep on this one. We'll get into some robots killing people, AI destroying humanity. You know, driverless cars, cryptocurrency. Um, 2018 elections uh it's it's going to be a good one and if if any listeners have have anything they want to throw in you can uh you can you can at replies on twitter if you still use that platform uh uh, at vf hive at vf hive and uh um and then tune in next week
1: and we should say that unlike other top 10 lists everything on this list is guaranteed to happen 100 percent and yeah uh, and in the meantime, happy belated Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and big shout out to Superfan Steve Sin, the man holding down the liberal left in Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, have a good week. I'll talk to you next week.
1: Talk to you, Nick. Bye.
0: Thanks to my guest this week, Joyce Kim. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the High with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, to my editors at Vanity Fair, and thank you, you, for listening all the way to the end. I will see you next week.